Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 330. Today's big Bible question, what is man's most important need? Well, hello, friends. Happy Saturday to you. Our readings today range from 1 Chronicles 16 to Obadiah 1 to Luke 5 and end with James 3. Today's episode and tomorrow are going to be shorties, given that this is the weekend, so let's get started. This will not be a deep and theological treatment of what is a most important question that some people have literally written books about. We'll go kind of shallow, but honestly shallow enough to see the enormity of the truth of our that our deepest need isn't usually what we think it is. In today's Luke 5 passage, we see this when Jesus does something that is more stunning to the crowds than when he raised the dead, healed the sick, or opened blind eyes. So let's read Luke 5 to discover this audacious activity of Jesus that reveals our deepest need. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into the one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken, And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. And he saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. On one of those days, while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then some men came, carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God. And they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things today. 
After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, John's disciples fast often and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Otherwise, not only will he tear the new, but he also... The piece from the new garment will not match the old, and no one puts into new wine skin new wine into old wine skins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, it will spill, and the skins will be ruined. No new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and no one after drinking old wine wants new because he says the old is better. So going back to the issue with the paralytic, I want you to realize the sheer audacity of what Jesus has done here. These men, the friends of the paralytic, go to incredible pains to bring their friend to Jesus. And when Jesus sees him, he's not dumb. He's not naive or unaware. He knows everybody that's watching, as well as the man and the fr- and his friends, are expecting Jesus to heal the man. Jesus isn't callous either. He's not refusing to heal this man's need. But instead, he's giving us a very loud statement about what your greatest need is and what my greatest need is. You might think it's healing for you or others. You might think it's protection or finances or success or a raise or a new job or reconciliation in one of your relationships. But the fact is, our greatest need is not literally one of those things unless the reconciliation in relationships you're thinking about happens to be the relationship between you and God. Because that, my friend, is my greatest need and it's your greatest need. Literally every other need of our life is less on the priority scale than that one because it's literally the only need that is permanent, eternal, and lasts beyond this lifetime. The Bible teaches that you and I are eternal beings, not just fleshly humans that have I don't know, 75 years, 80 years or so, and then return to the basic elements of the earth. We live for an eternity and we have just exactly one eternal need. Forgiveness from God so that we can be in a good relationship with God. Forgiveness of sins so that we can live for eternity in heaven. Jesus is showing us in the crowds that watch as emphatically as possible that even the most desperately ill, sick person still needs their sins forgiven more than anything else in the world. The wonderful news of the gospel is quite simply this. God will grant that request of meeting our greatest need, forgiveness of sins, for all who ask for it in Christ and through faith in Christ. Will he heal you physically? Will he help you with your other pressing needs? Maybe. I certainly still believe in miracles. I believe in healing. I believe God still heals. And I've seen God do inexplicably amazing things. But know this. All of us will die. I hope that's not, uh, I guess I should say, spoiler alert, all of us will die unless the Lord returns in our lifetime, which means there are some wounds, some conditions, some catastrophes, some illnesses, and some effects of aging that we will not be healed of physically in this life. 
And that's hard. But isn't it wonderful that our greatest need can be met with a 100% chance of happening and all we have to do is trust Jesus in faith? Well, here's Tim Keller on this passage. He says, Jesus is saying, there is something beyond this life that is more important than this life. And if you don't connect to that thing that is more important than life, you won't live life well. What you need more than anything else is a right relationship with God as Father because your sins are forgiven. Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. What he's actually pressing on him, what he's offering to him is a new relationship with God, not as a boss, but as a father, so that you are a forgiven, loved, accepted child of God as father through Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. That's always the most important thing. No matter what your problem is, you think, well, this is my most important thing. This is my most urgent problem. No, forgiveness of sins by Jesus is the biggest need. If it hasn't happened, this is the healing you need. No matter what else your problem is, you need to have your sins forgiven. Most importantly, that is the most fundamental human need. Now, I can imagine for a second, says Keller, some objections. I can imagine somebody out there saying, you really don't realize how badly I'm suffering from this physical ailment. It's very, very serious. It's wrecking my life. It's my most urgent need. Yeah, I'd be happy to work on a spiritual relationship with God at some point, but my main thing right now is I need to be well and feel better. And Jesus is saying this to you. No, you need a relationship with God as Father because your sins are forgiven, even more than you need to be well. Here's why. Even if you get a healing right now, even if you get that thing you're praying with with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to get sick again. You're going to have another need again. Something bad is going to happen, and you're going to be whipsawed back and forth between fear and anger and despair unless you know God, not as just some kind of remote deity that you only come to when you're distressed or have great need but as a father. And the only way to know God as father is to have your sins washed by what Jesus did on the cross. So dear friends, my greatest need, your greatest need is forgiveness of sin. And it is freely given to all who ask for for such from Jesus. And that is good news. Well, let's continue. First Chronicles chapter 16. And it's also good news that I don't see many complicated names in there. Hooray. Chapter 16, verse 1. They brought the ark of God and placed it inside the tent David had pitched for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in God's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to each and every Israelite, both men and women, a loaf of bread, a date, cake, and a raisin cake. David appointed some of the Levites to be ministers before the ark of the Lord to celebrate the Lord God of Israel and to give thanks and praise to him. Asaph was the chief, and Zechariah was second to him, Jael, Shemiramoth, Jehiel, Mattathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obed-Edom, and Jalel played the harps and lyres, while Asaph sounded the cymbals, and the priests, Benaiah and Jehaziel, blew the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. On that day, David decreed for the first time that thanks be given to the Lord by Asaph and his relatives. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, proclaim his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell about all his wondrous works, boast in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face always. Remember the wondrous works he has done, his wonders and the judgments he has pronounced. 
you offspring of Israel, his servant, Jacob's descendants, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments govern the whole earth. Remember his covenant forever, the promise he ordained for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, swore to Isaac, and confirmed to Jacob his decree and to Israel as a permanent covenant. I will give the land of Canaan to you as your inherited portion. When they were few in number, very few indeed, and resident aliens in Canaan, wandering from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their behalf. Do not touch my anointed ones or harm my prophets. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord, proclaim his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. For the Lord is great and highly praised. He is feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea and all that fills it resound. Let the fields and everything in them exult. Then the trees of the forest will shout for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And say, save us, God of our salvation. Gather us and rescue us from the nations so that we may give thanks to your holy name and rejoice in your praise. Best blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord. So David left Asaph and his relatives there before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to minister regularly before the Ark according to the daily requirements. He assigned Obed-Edom and his 68 relatives, Obed-Edom, son of Jeduthan, and Hosha, were to be gatekeepers, David left the priest Zadok and his fellow priests before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place in Gibeon to offer burnt offerings regularly morning and evening to put the Lord to the Lord on the altar of burnt offerings and to do everything that was written in the law of the Lord which he had commanded Israel to keep. With them were Heman, Jeduthun, and the rest who were chosen and designated by name to give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. Heman and Jeduthun had with them trumpets and cymbals to play and musical instruments of God. Jeduthun's sons were at the city gate. Then all the people went home and David returned home to bless his household. Obadiah chapter 1. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the Lord God has said about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations. Rise up and let's go to war against her. Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Your arrogant heart has deceived you, you who live in clefts of the rock. In your home on the heights, who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground, though you seem to soar like an eagle and make your nest among the stars? Even from there I will bring you down. This is the Lord's declaration. If thieves came to you, if marauders by night, how ravaged you would be. Wouldn't they steal only what they wanted? If grape harvesters came to you, wouldn't they leave a few grapes? How Esau will be pillaged, his hidden treasures searched out. Everyone who has a treaty with you will drive you to the border. Everyone at peace with you will deceive and conquer you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you. He will be unaware of it. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration. Will I not eliminate the wise ones of Edom and those who understand from the hill country of Esau? Teman, your warriors will be terrified so that everyone from the hill country of Esau will be destroyed by slaughter. 
You will be covered with shame and destroyed forever because of violence done to your brother Jacob. On that day you stood aloof. On the day strangers captured his wealth, while foreigners entered his city gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were just like one of them. Do not gloat over your brother in the day of his calamity. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction. Do not boastfully mock in the day of distress. Do not enter my people's city gate in the day of their disaster. Yes, you. Do not gloat over their misery in the day of their disaster, and do not appropriate their possessions in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off their fugitives, and do not hand over their survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near against all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. What you deserve will return on your own head. As you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all nations will drink continually. They will drink and gulp down and be as though they had never been. But there will be a deliverance on Mount Zion, and it will be holy. The house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossess them. Then the house of Jacob will be a blazing fire, and the house of Joseph a burning flame. But the house of Esau will be stubble. Jacob will set them on fire and consume Edom. Therefore, no survival will remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will possess the hill country of Esau. Those from the Judean foothold hills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will possess the territories of Ephraim and Samaria, while Benjamin will possess Gilead. The exiles of the Israelites who are in Halah and who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, as well as the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. James chapter 3 verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Who among you is wise in understanding? By his good conduct he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Amen. Well, friends, may God's goodness and grace bloom and dwell in your hearts and may his word bear fruit in your lives. Good day and Godspeed.